When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hi everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. It's number 95, we're getting towards that century. Something special planned for the 100, something equally special planned for this edition of the podcast. I've been chasing him for some time. I only met Michael Carberry once and that was a very brief interview on the edge of a pitch in South Africa as Hampshire went out of the Champions League back in 2012. Always admired him as a player. And when you talk to people in the game about various cricketers, he's always classed as one of the good guys of cricket. So I was keen to get him on the show and I was not disappointed. You'll hear on the podcast this week that we do the regular Cricket Badger 20 questions. Part of that discussion is an in-depth discussion about batting and the the role of the opener quite topical at the moment with England's top three always in debate in the test arena and can you swap white ball cricket for red ball cricket well myself and carbs we discussed that in the regular show then after I said goodbye to him our conversation on the telephone continued I asked him if I could include that conversation in this podcast so effectively you're almost getting two podcasts for the price of one this week because if you're interested in cricket if you're interested in the mechanics of opening the batting, about the pressures that a player might be under, whether players get long enough at the top of the test order, about what sort of qualities you need to be a top-class batsman, and about whether 2020 cricket, and obviously the 100 around the corner, prejudices a player's ability to play a long innings, then this is the podcast for you. Because we've got one of the best, certainly county batsmen of recent times, obviously a former England player as well, on the podcast this week, being very candid, very open and very interesting about all things top order batting. Obviously, Michael has had his illness problems too. We talk about that, quite inspirational. We also talk about his artwork, becoming a very accomplished artist. Some links to his work on the description for this podcast. And I can quite honestly say I've spoken to some fantastic people on the podcast over the last couple of years. But this is one of my favourite chats. Really interesting talk with Michael Carberry on this week's Cricket Badger podcast. Cricket Badger Podcast Fact File Michael Alexander Carberry Hampshire, Surrey, Leicestershire, Perth Scorchers and England left-handed opening batsman Highest first-class score, 300 not out 13 international caps for England across all formats 13,868 first-class runs at an average of 41.02 Now an accomplished artist, draw me like one of your French girls Michael Welcome to the podcast, Cubs. Let's have a badger chat. I've been looking at some of your artwork. It's fantastic stuff. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, we had a we had our um, second show last night at the launch night, so it was a pretty long day. I've just literally got in on my arms now. So I just went to the hotel last night. We didn't get away till late. By the time we cleared everything up and in Redison for today, it was good. Yeah, we had a good turnout. Yeah, so slowly, slowly sort of picking up sort of momentum. 
which is good. You see, I suppose it's at this stage it's really just getting awareness out there that I'm doing this now, so the responses have been good. I've looked at a few of your pieces, and I've got massive admiration for anybody that can sit down and, and draw like that. I mean, draw makes it sound like primary school, but you know, to be able to pick up a pencil and then to create stuff that you've created. I, mean, I, I, was, I, I can't draw for toffee, and I've always found that eyes the things that let me down I, you know my eyes look dead as a dodo but a proper artist can put a bit of life into a face can't they and, and, and recreate yeah. something fantastic yeah I, I yeah i was i was really focused on the other well, where i start really all my drawings is the eyes and sort of work work outwards um and then probably i would say like the mouth is probably the next bit i'll try and try and get because it's all about i suppose catching the um expression in the drawing as well first of the 20 questions is if not a cricketer what would you have done would it have been somewhere down the art route or would it have been something different yeah i would say so yeah as a, as a kid yeah i always always enjoyed like drawing and that kind of stuff so I probably might have, or probably a sprinter or something like that yeah like i like my athletics as a, as a kid i was a, I was a decent sprinter at, at school level so yeah i would have probably gone into something like that yeah and was it something that you always knew you were good at? Because presumably you don't just kind of get to get to your stage in life and suddenly think, oh, I can draw. You, you presume you've been doing that all the way through your life? No, not really. Um, I did I did art art and design at school as most kids did, and then obviously I left school quite you know quite early to to pursue cricket. So during that time, I didn't really pick up a pencil, didn't really sketch or anything for, for quite a few years. And then when I was on the recovery from, from cancer in 2016, just decided, look, I need something to sort of, you know, keep some positivity around me and whatever. And um, also just to kill some hours once you've, you know, done your rehab for the day. There's a lot of hours to kill, as you can imagine. So just started to sketch and um, didn't know that I could draw certainly to the level I am now. But as I said, the internet is a... You know, depending on how you use it, it's a wonderful tool now. You can pretty much teach yourself anything. Yeah, just started following um, some tutorials on, on YouTube and, and through social media. Got in touch with some artists and who were sort of kind enough to pass down their tips and, and knowledge. And yeah, just sort of practice, 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 practice. Three years on now, I'm in the gallery sort of displaying my work. So it's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a sort of amazing, amazing, um, amazing story, really. How does that feel to see your pictures hanging there and people standing there stroking their chins and admiring them? I'll be honest, it hasn't quite sunk in. I mean, I still smirk a little bit thinking that, you know, this all sort of stemmed from a you know a little coffee shop in Hampshire where I live, where I spent most of my days on the recovery from, from illness, keeping the mind active, I suppose, to, to think, you know, free, you know, pretty much months after I've retired, you know, people will be coming to buy my work and, you know, coming from all, all corners to... Sort of look at my work is a bit yeah it's a bit surreal yeah and, and is the art your career now is that is that where you see yourself going yeah for the time being yeah it's been sort of putting a lot of time and investment into it i mean i've got other other business ventures that i'm into as well and i set those up while i whilst i was playing because i think nowadays you have to have more, you know a plan b c d as well i mean retirement came a little bit abruptly before i wanted to retire but you know sometimes you have to you have to work with the pack of cards you got. I'm, I haven't sort of missed the playing side um, too much at this stage. I speak to a lot of people that kind of go go across into retirement, and a lot of people find it quite difficult. You, you mentioned your illness, though. I mean, first of all, is everything 100% fine? Yeah, praise God. Yeah, take it day by day. Yeah, it's been okay. You know, I'm actually looking in better shape now than I did back then. To be fair, just been trying to keep you know keep in the gym and. You know, keep keep active, especially now I'm not sort of running around playing. It's important you don't just, you know, where I'm doing a lot of sitting down, drawing. I also do a bit of finance as well. So, you know, there's a lot of sitting down, sitting around, sitting down jobs, different things you've been out there and active. So just trying to keep myself in, in shape. And, yeah, so far, you know, everything's been okay. Don't buy too many biscuits. That's that's the killer. Biscuits and when you eat coffee, you eat too many biscuits yeah, yeah. and... Uh, that's the, that's the story of life in the press box covering cricket. I always found that I used to put on weight in the summer because you basically yeah, sat there yeah. watching the game of cricket and just eating eating right. all day long. It was horrendous. Um, <laughs> you, you actually saved you saved me. Actually, you, you had that massive partnership with Neil McKenzie. I was covering Yorkshire and we we came down to the the Rose Bowl as it was then, and you yeah, put on yeah. five hundred plus with Neil McKenzie, and I, I spent right, two days. Yeah basically watching you bat and I think me and a, a colleague we did about 300 laps of the ground whilst you were batting <laughs> yeah that was still not wasn't it triple century that yeah good partnership uh, we, me and Maka yeah we, we um yeah we batted yeah it was just in the zone man um both of us I think we just 
Well, we first first of all we were in a bit of trouble because I think by recollection I think Yorkshire batted first had a had a huge score themselves. So we we were fighting off relegation at that stage of the season. I'd, I'd not long come back from my first illness as well. So you know, sort of just getting back into into things. Yeah, so it's McAvoy. So listen, we we got to stick around there, buddy. If we get out, then you know we we haven't got we haven't got much backing to come. We, you know, at the time we had quite a young, a young Liam Dawson, James Vince. You know, we had a lot of Michael Bates. We had a lot of inexperience coming coming after us. So yeah, we had to make sure we stuck around. I don't think I've looked through as many record books as I, I looked through through that time <laughs> because you were knocking off the uh, the partnership records as you went through. And just, yeah. just going back to your, your illness, though, Michael. I mean, it might sound a bit flippant as a question, but when, when you, you've been diagnosed with cancer and you go through the, the treatment and you, you rehabilitate and hopefully everything's fine from there, that presumably it makes you realise that cricket isn't the be-all and end-all. Yeah, true. But for me, I suppose, the, I mean, the cancer was off the back of another bad illness, which I had in 2010 with my lungs. Where I had a blood clot on the lungs just after sort of making my test debut. So that was a, you know, so I've had two massive blows in my career, which suppose to some degree is you know kind of robbed me of my my best my best periods but I think you're you know 100% right I think in those situations you realize now that you know a bad day at cricket you know it's not that it's not the be on end or you, you take failure and success hand in hand you know at the end of the day I walk you know it's more important that I walk through my daughter my mum's and she, she you know she's happy to see me come whatever the result the friends that have been there on the start of my journey as a cricketer and before still want to see me safe and come home. So, yeah, I think uh, it, it took the pressure off massively off how I played after that. Had some of my best seasons probably after those illnesses. Because um, I think you, you do you do make peace with, with a lot of things. I think you have to, otherwise, you know, it's it, it eats away at you more than the cancer does, you know. The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com. Their ethos, we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Who was the biggest influence on your career? Well, I'd say, first of all, it was my parents. You know, they, they were really the ones who, you know, gave me that start in life, really. Um, you know, especially my mum, she was a, you know, she gave me that sort of hard-working ethic, you know, always work for what you want, do it honestly, you know, don't cut corners, that kind of stuff. So um, I suppose she was like my, and still is my sort of aspirations in life and how I go about my life sort of thing. Um, from a cricket front, I suppose the Vivian Richards was my earliest cricket heroes growing up as a kid. Uh, watched a lot of the great West Indians of the 80s, Gordon Greenwich, Desmond Haynes, those kind of guys. And then as I got older as a teenager, obviously um, Brian Lara was someone that I was you know, massively tried to emulate in my own batting with the, you know, the bat lift and just the way he played and his toughness at the crease and his, I suppose, his passion for, for making those big scores like the 300, you know, um, which I managed to achieve myself. You know, I sort of looked at how he constructed in and and he just had a hunger for big scores yeah so to mention those guys um ricky ponting would be another one you know i love watching ricky ponting back you know, he's just very aggressive very positive so yeah those, those sort of guys are really those, i'll say those sort of really inspired me as a as a cricketer look back at your career michael if i could give you the chance to to relive any day again what's been your best moment in cricket which day would you like to go back to and and think wow i can i can have this one again I think, to be honest, I think any any time that I've, I've said to you before, like I've I've had obviously the the highs have been very good, the lows have always been tragic. I think any time I've been able to bounce back from those low periods, I think, you know, I would I would do that again, to be honest, because I think it it's 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 a it's a real test of every facet of your being, you know, like unfortunately, as sports people, we go through a lot of a lot of lows more than the highs. You know, when I talk to kids now, you know, that's all I talk about is, you know, you've got to be able to find a way within yourself to deal with disappointment, failure, rejection, injuries, illnesses, you know, breakups, all that, all that, all that stuff, because that's, that's real life. That, unfortunately, that is what we face on an everyday basis. We get small windows of happiness where, like I said, you get selected for England or you get capped as a county cricketer or you make a hundred, you know, those, those things happen through a career over a long period of time, but they don't happen every day. 
you know, whereas the other stuff does. So for me, it was is any time say I've come back those those two occasions where I've say come back from you know life threatening you know life threatening illnesses, not not just you know a twisted ankle or something. You know, I've, I've always managed to rise to the challenge. What's been your worst moment in cricket? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think the illnesses is one. I didn't really enjoy my England experience very much. I'll be honest. It wasn't a great, wasn't a great, great time to be involved with England. Didn't really feel I was um, really a part of the setup. Got messed around quite a lot within that as within that period of time. And I suppose how it how it all ended with with Leicester, I think, was probably the real kick to the stomach. I think after. You know, being an ambassador for the sport for 20 years, you know, the, you know, just exposing how corrupt the system really is, and 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 what what's what was allowed to go on by the PCA and the ECB. You know, I, I sort of had to, you know, part part company with the sport really. And as I said, I'm all about trying to keep positivity around me, not not indulge in negativity. When you were with England on that Ashes trip, it was a tough tour, as you say, but you, you really did fight it out at times, didn't you? you know, maybe they were 20s and 30s, but they were seriously gutsy 20s and 30s, which probably, looking back, were underestimated at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I mean I'm not saying for one instance that, you know, my, my the figures that I came back with, you know, were, were, were great or well-beating, um, but... Look, as I always say, you know, it takes everybody a few test matches to find their feet. It's, it's, you know, you don't get those challenges in county cricket and with, you know, four fine fast bowlers steaming in all day long. Um, and, and a, you know, one of the world best finger spinners as well. Yeah, you had to work hard for your runs, as, you, as, as it should be, it's te- test cricket. Um, but I, I certainly relish the challenge of, of facing Mitchell Johnson, Ryan Harris, these guys at their very, at their peak of their powers. I've always wanted to face people at their very best. You know, at no stage did I feel I couldn't score runs at test level. Looking back on the series, you know, probably, you know, I didn't get the rubber the green on certain dismissals. You know, I chopped on a few times and you know a few weird dismissals in there. As I've always been taught, you know, you got you when when tough periods come along, you've got to, you've got to fight for it. You know, um, yeah. I mean, would I've done anything different looking back? Perhaps. There may be other occasions where it was case in point to say, look, just counter-attack and see where you end up. But I think people underestimated how well Australia bowled in that series. I think that was, you know, you had to you had to be 22 yards away to really understand the the, 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 the pressure these guys put on us from, from the first test match, really. Um, and they just didn't let up. It was relentless. But look, you know, if I look back on my own personal series, I think it, it, it's flattering to know that five to six years on you know people still remember that my efforts and that I was you know I, I was happy to sort of stand up to Australia um, I was never going to take a back seat you know that's not that's not the way I played the game you know I was always however tough it is I would, I would always get in there uh, as I say there's that warrior mentality but yeah I, I, I mean I saw Mitchell even last week at the, at the Edgebass in Test match and we were talking about it then and you know he's still very complimentary of how I played him and that's nice, you know. It's nice to hear from someone, you know, someone who's a great of the game, who's achieved, you know, a lot more than I did at, at that level. That he he remembers me as being a tough opponent to get out. So I suppose it, it's it's a it's a small come of comfort in what was a bad tour. You said before you didn't necessarily always feel part of the team with England. You're on a list, really, between kind of Strauss and, and Cook and what have you, with you know Lyde and Robson and Compton and and the like of people who came in and maybe weren't quite given long enough to, to find their feet. Do you think there's, there's been a case that, you know, we've, we've dismissed people too quickly at times as in, at the top order of England? Yeah, 100%. I think we have, we have, we have actually messed it up properly. Now, what, what I'm seeing now, I feel, you know, I'm seeing it now with coaching kids. Um, there's a massive fear created now around opening the batting. You know, none, none of the kids want to go in first because... This, this is because they're no doubt they're seeing what's happening at the top, at the very top of the game. Is that I think the expectation of England on openers is too high. I'll be brutally frank, and I am I am going to sit in the corner of the openers because that's what I did. We're expected to go out March, you know, days, um, end of March, beginning of April, when wickets are not ready. They're, they're still puddings to go and face you know professional bowlers with an ball to try and push for an England place. And and when guys get there into the England team, I think you've got to invest 
time in good in in openers. You know, openers will have low periods because it's the toughest place to bat. You know, and in a test attack, you've got everybody in the attack can bowl. You know, everyone's everyone's a gun bowler, so anyone in there can can nick you off. You know, at any stage. So the crucial bit to a test match is generally the first fifty to sixty overs. You know, you've got to you've got to you've got to be able to almost blunt the attack. You know, and, and set things up for the back end of you know when when bowlers now are into third and fourth and fifth spells. You know now your your Bairstow's and Butlers and Moen Alleys now can go in and do their thing. But you need to invest time more importantly in good openers. I think you know what I've seen since my time in there. It's just been a revolving door. Um, I'd like you know like to see. I don't care really who they open with, but I just like them to like kind of what they've done with the World Cup team. You know, that team was put together four years ago, right? And we've generally kept the same players in and around, the same 15 players in and around the squad, okay? And and maybe just added Aussie Joffre, Archer recently. But that you can see, but Joffre came into a, a, a team where everybody's played at least 50 to 60-odd, some, in some cases, 200 games, you know? So he can you can just let him go. He's, there's enough experience around him. I think England's got to do that with certainly with the with the opening situation um, because you're what you're doing now is ruining some some very good young batters out there who, in my opinion, yeah could could be could be fine players. I think they're looking from afar, thinking, well, look, you know, the safe haven now is to back down the order because those guys tend to get a little bit more of a lifeline. With the growth of white ball cricket and the the fact that we yeah we've seen the likes of Jason Roy and Johnny Burster go out in in the ODIs and smash it to all parts that people struggle to comprehend the difference between white ball and red ball cricket they they expect almost these days that the openers in Test match cricket are going to go out and do exactly the same thing and it's a completely different I was I, I almost think that red ball and white ball is a different sport these days the, the challenges are so different that. The task of an opener in red ball cricket is vastly different to the task of an opener in white ball cricket. Yeah, massively. Yeah, I mean the white ball it doesn't swing around very much. I mean you might get one or two overs of swing, and then it's racing hit through the line, which is where, as I say, the likes of Jason Roy, Johnny Bairstow, Alex Hales, these guys have come into their own in the, in the last couple of years. But red ball cricket, it, it is a different game. Um, and test match cricket, first class cricket is a different format and it has to be recognised and treated as that. What you're seeing now is, you know, you're trying to turn hitters into batsmen and it doesn't always work. You know, you need to have the fundamentals in place first and understand batting and understand batting for periods of time. And then great, if you've got that, if you've got that other phase to your game where you can step on the accelerator pedal, great. But you're going to find first-class cricket very, very tough if you don't have defence and, and good fundamentals and know what to leave and what to play at, especially early on, because good bowlers in first-class cricket are still good bowlers in test cricket, and they will they will hit that area where they'll be challenging you. And if, you're, if your defence isn't strong enough, you're going to find yourself you know, walking back to the pavilion more often than not. It's the mentality as well, isn't it, of opening the batting in first-class cricket. You know, we, we talked earlier about your triple hundred down at the Rose Bowl. To do that, you need to have huge depths of, of stamina and, and mental toughness. You can, yeah. you can score a quick 50 or 60 and take the headlines in a one-day game, and it can be over in 40 minutes, can't it? It's a, mm. it's a, it's a different thing. Yeah, a different game. Yeah, a completely different game. And I think the best the best players for me are adaptable. You know what I'm you know what I'm seeing now amongst young batters now is less the the ability to or that say the lack of ability to be able to adapt um, to the format. It's almost well that's this is the way I play. You know I've heard that you know sort of headline thrown around too many too often in, my, in for my liking. That that's the way I play. You know, the ball up. If the ball is up, no matter what the situation, I'm going to put my hands to it. Um, r- rather than reading the situation, looking at the game and thinking, right, we just lost the off, lost the wicket. Um, the, the pitch is a bit green. You know, the big booming cover drive today may be a risky shot, especially early on with movement. Let me just have a look and you know get a feel for the wicket and the base and the bounce and that kind of stuff. It seems to be less of that. It's just right. If it's up, it's off. You know, hoping that you're hedging your bets now that 
you make runs. Um, yeah. But, you know, for me, the very best players, you know, even look through this World Cup, that's just been the very best players have still come out on top. The guys with the proper techniques have come out on top. That your your hitters like Russell and people, Maxwell and people like that virtually did nothing in the World Cup. Um, Chris Gale, because you know the ball still will do something in England, and that's just at white ball level. So you can imagine now in a Test match where you know a, a team can keep their slips in pretty much all day. You know you, you know you've seen some of the very best. Where Coley came here last year and massively had to throttle back. In, in, in how and he you know he's one of the most positive players going around and he realised that look, you know I'm not going to I'm going to pick my fight here I'm not going to take Anderson and Broad on in swinging conditions because you, you're in a hiding to nothing you know I've got a back time so I would like to see that that mentality more in young batters now than just sort of standing there almost playing glorified baseball in front of the stumps We've spoken on the Cricket Badger podcast before about Jason Roy's role in Test cricket and I've been a critical of him been given the opener berth in Test cricket because he doesn't really do that for Surrey. White ball cricket, as we said, is is a little is a lot different to, to red ball cricket. And I think if you're going to play him in Test matches, he should be at four or five because if you edge edge the third slip in a one day match, it goes to four down to third man, and you can still get a hundred. If you do that in a Test match against Australia, they'll gone. they'll take the catch <laughs> and you'll be walking off. That's it. You've gone. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, 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 I've known Jason a while. I mean, he's a, he's a lovely guy, a lovely kid. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much in, in that court as well. And I, and I think, I'll be honest, it shows a little bit of disrespect to the job of an opener, I'll be honest, that they feel now that anybody virtually can do it, um, which I don't think is correct, is correct thinking. Um, I, I, I think that a lot because you, you hear them talking on TMS and and on Sky and you see social media and I've seen everybody from Johnny Bairstow to Chris Wokes to Moen Ali suggested as being a test match opener and to me a red ball opener is somebody who has learnt that craft it's a, it's a, it's a very specialised job in that team isn't it it's not just something that anybody can do no no and, and, and the stats tell you that Jason Roy as I said you know to use Jason Roy as an example I don't think there's a more destructive one-day batsman going around at this moment in time. You know, I think Jason Roy would definitely be up there in the probably top five batters in the world at the moment, and on current form. Um, Bearstow would be pretty much there behind him or in front of him. But in red red ball cricket for Surrey, I mean, this guy doesn't even have his forty at the Oval, which is quite a good batting wicket. You would you would say no real demons, and but it's a it's the mentality. I mean, I watch Jason bat against Ireland and I was a little bit worried then I'll be honest I mean yes he got 70 but it all seemed a lot very frenetic you know running down the wicket every second ball and you know with all due respect that's Tim Murta who's a very good friend long time friend of mine who is just a you know a high class first class bowler and it worried me to see almost Jason just throw the towel in at the end and have a massive booming drive because he just couldn't you know he couldn't get his favourite shots away and I'm you know so I think you know, it's a conversation something needs to sit him down and say, look, mate, you know, this is a long, it's a long, Test match cricket is a long game, right? If someone like him, don't get me wrong, if someone like him can, can get through somehow 20 to 30 overs, you know, he, he, you know, he could he could be a fine opener. I mean, he's got the shots, as we know, you know, but what, what the question I'm asking is more more on the temperament side, right? I don't, I'll never question whether he can play shots or not. We all know that. We've seen it. He's won World Cup. Right? It's, it's, and this goes for quite a lot of young openers at the moment. Do they have the temperament when bowlers are locked in on a good spell? And sometimes you just have to sit in and just limit risk and think, right, see this guy off and attack the rest. But are, are players now prepared to do that as much? No, I don't believe. Are the coaches that are there working with giving them the right messages? No, I don't believe. There's too much of well, you're better off when you're being positive. I think it's a cop-out as far as I see it. And I've clashed with numerous coaches over my time because, you know, in my era, we weren't raised that way. Um, it was very much, you, you've got to sometimes curb your natural instincts and, and tough it out. Look ugly. It's not a glamorous job opening the batting. Um, and I think England have got too caught up with having this glamorous opener at the top of the order. In, in our conditions, it's just, it just doesn't work. 
Yeah, I, I, in that 72 that he scored against Ireland, I, you could see his wicket coming because he hadn't, he'd not he been stuck in the 60s and 70s for quite some time and that's just not ha- what he's used to doing, is it? And, you, know, you could see him getting frustrated. You could see the, the reckless shot coming. You could see the wicket coming. Where the, the 100 was there for him, really, to, for the taking at Lords, which would have been a would have yeah. you know, sealed a tremendous debut. And it's not it's not knocking Jason Roy because, as he says, he's, he's a terrific player. I, I just think it's a little bit unfair on him to get him to yeah. learn how to be a, a red ball opener in the in the glare of the Ashes series. I think it's a it's a little bit disrespectful, as you say, of the opener role, but also unfair on him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just hope that it doesn't irrelevant to me who opens the batting, you know, wh- whoever they pick. Um, what I'd like to see is some stability for a period of time. I'd like to see some investment in whoever, if they're going to go with this Jason Roy ploy, then look, let's let's go with it for a, for a few years, you know, rather than just revolt, you know, giving him five test matches. And then what you're hoping now is that it doesn't do any psychological damage to his white ball game. Yeah, you know, um, that's that. This is where you've got to be careful as well, you know, that. You you you've put him in a in a scenario now he's not used to he's not comfortable with you can see his demeanour he's not he's not comfortable blocking or leaving balls you know would that have then an effect on his on his white ball cricket you know no one, no one wants to be known as a failure at Tesla you, you know and and that's my only worry is that is, will it damage what he's good at you know he he's as I said he's one of the finest ball strikers I've ever seen in this country and and probably going around world cricket at the moment. But what for Red Bull? Yeah, I, I'm. I, I have my concerns. Um, I, I've, you know, I think I've gone on there a few times with the media. I've, you know, thrown a few names out there. Daniel Bell Drummond for one, who's who's a good young opener at Kent. You know, had success against Australia as a very young guy. You know, got a hundred, I think. You know, is is someone you know I'd be looking at as an as a selector. Um, I think Adam Live. Me, I'm a massive Adam Live fan of. From the time I've seen him as a young guy, I've been really impressed. He's year to year, he's got stronger. You know, this guy, you know, he's had a bit of a quiet year this year. But, you know, I, I think statistically, if you look around the op- young openers, I think he's got to be one of the best, better ones going around. He's got over 20 odd hundreds, first class, averaging 40 at Yorkshire is never easy. Um, and I think, again, he was one of, you know, someone that, you know, the, the, those two guys are in our names that the selectors should be sort of looking at and going, right, you know, these are guys that have done it over a period of years, you know, for their counties, let's, let's get them in. Um, rather than, you know, I know other names have been mentioned, uh, Crawley and, and Sibley's and these kind of guys, you know, look, they're, they're young guys. And they've, only, they've only done that over one season, maybe two, you know, whereas those other guys I've mentioned, you know, been around for five, six, seven years, 10 years and probably Livy's case. You know, I think there's got to be more investment in those in those kind of guys. They can play, shown it. Just just got to invest time in those guys more. I've seen a lot of live because, as you know, I, I, I sort of covered Yorkshire more than any other county, and he, he's always struck me as being somebody that could definitely forge a Test career. You know, he's got the game for it. He's got the mentality for it. He's got a hunger for runs, and he, he he's also he's also somebody I think who is quite a simple fella, and it takes maybe a, a few. A few matches for some of the lessons to be learnt with Livy and giving him, you know, a couple of test matches against New Zealand, which he scored a century in, and then an Ashes series, which he was exposed a little bit. But it, they need to then say, right, you've been exposed a little bit. Let's work on that. Let's give you a few more test matches, and you're our you're our chosen chosen one. You, you know, just to dismiss somebody very quickly and then throw him back into the county game and never to be seen again is it's not the right way forward, is it? You need to have a more long term plan than that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I've seen Adam live from very early in his career. Um, I've been on the receiving end of a lot of his hundreds too. I've always, weirdly enough, even though you play against someone or you want them out, but I've always enjoyed watching him back. Um, you know, he plays good shots. He's you know a very positive guy. You know, lovely guy off the field as well. And when he got picked, I was happy for him because you know, for me, like me, he did it the tough way. He's gone in. He's, he's done the grinding county cricket. You know, he scored a load of runs over, as I said, five, six, seven, ten years. He's been a very, very, very consistent. You know, he was the reason Yorkshire, you know, one of the main reasons Yorkshire won so many titles. You know, you see Adam Live, you know, thirteen, fourteen hundred runs a year consistently. You know, it was a serious effort. So yeah, I was happy for him. And then, you know, as he got his test, test hundred on debut, 
and I was hopefully hoping for him to kick on and, and do some great things, which I still believe he's, he can do. I mean, he's only, you know, late 20s, so he's, he's still got his best years behind him. But I agree with you. I think what they what they did to him was, was, was wrong, really. You know, anybody could get exposed to Mitchell, Mitchell Johnson, Mitchell Stark, Hazelwood, Cummings. <laughs> You know they're they're not they're not muppets. They can't these guys these guys can really bowl. And for me, is the fingers I'll be pointing at is the batting coaches at the time. Is why didn't someone work with Livy and say right, okay, we're going to strengthen you in these areas? Because in fairness, he goes back to county cricket. When is he ever going to get that chance to be able to yeah. work on work on these things? You know what I mean? So this is this is why you know if you if you identify him as being you know someone that is going to have a, a good England career you bet you, you, your real learning now is on the job in test level because you don't get those challenges in county cricket right so this is this is why I say I point the finger at the management and I point the finger at the batting coaches they they always take the hands off approach when when someone like Livy goes in there and it doesn't quite work right rather than taking ownership and saying right okay I'm going to show my strengths as a coach I'm going to I'm going to help you get where you need to be absolutely I, I think it's a little bit like um when a chairman appoints a football manager and sacks him three games later that's not the manager's fault that's the chairman's fault he's, he's picked the wrong person and it you know if you're a test selector and you pick an opener you've got to trust your decision that you know what you've seen in that person can translate into the test arena Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. Michael, we're going to have to move on because we've got 20 questions and I could talk to you about <laughs> opening the batting for, for days on end. But I'm sure our podcast listeners would probably uh, you know, need to get some sleep at various stages. But quite, next question was, um, what was your cricket hero when you young? But we've already answered that, so we'll refer back to your previous answer. Yeah. The next one is, if you could trade lives with any current cricketer for a day, live in their skin and experience what it's like to be them, who would you like to be? I'd like to know what it's like to be a genius like Virat Kohli for a day. He's a genius. Or, or Steve, Steve Smith, yeah, just to see the world through their eyes for one day. Yeah, and with, with Virat Kohli, you get the uh, the Indian public as well, just wanting a piece of yeah. it. Yeah, dealing with the pressure. I mean, you you know, the expectation of a whole nation every time you walk to the crease. Yeah, it can't be easy. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day, Michael Carberry. One yeah. thing, one bugbear maybe that you'd change about cricket. Get some inject some common sense back into the game freedom of speech amongst players and and general management, I suppose. It's something that's gone out of the game for me. Common sense has gone a little bit out of it. I think people are frightened to say what they really want to say because there's too many people trying to keep their job in the sport rather than actually trying to take the sport forward. They say that rock stars want to be sportsmen and vice versa. If you could have been famous in another field, what would you have chosen? I'll, I'll tell you what, I'd love to be an F1 driver. <laughs> you, you like yeah, a bit I'd of speed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to be an F1 driver. I'd love to be Lewis Hamilton for a day. If you could meet anybody, living or dead, who would you like to meet? Um, Nelson Mandela. Uh, we were talking before he uh, pressed record about the Champions League, and I went over to South Africa. I went across to Robin Island whilst I was in Cape Town, and that, that was quite an eye-opener. When, when you when you hear about Robin Island and where Nelson Mandela obviously spent all those years in captivity, and you just imagine it's a horrible, grey, dark, nasty place, but the island itself is beautiful, and you've got the view of Cape Town over the water, and yet there's that prison on it, which is just where all the horrible things about apartheid were basically manifested itself on that island, and it was quite yeah it was a, it's a if anybody goes there it's a fantastic trip because you you go across on the boat one of the ex inmates actually takes you around and gives you the talk and shows you around incredible you know the small cell the fact that there was that there was a room probably the size of most people's living room that slept about 40 people it was it was horrendous it really was but it was a, i can understand why you want to see him yeah just see him as a human man 
yeah, just what he went through and best years were taken from him again for standing up for what he believes in and speaking out and, and not being sort of afraid of the consequences. Even on his release, you know, he, he still found compassion towards the same people. That takes a quite a special human. It struck a chord with me, you know. When was the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? First time I placed a trade in the market because I'm a I'm a trader. I trade the stock market. I would say the first the, the first trade I ever placed. I was, yeah, I was very nervous. You're watching the graph going up and down. <laughs> yeah, spent so many hours deliberating buy or sell, buy or sell, left right, left shoulder, right shoulder. Yeah, it was quite nerve wracking, but I won, so it's fine. They're going to make Carbs the movie. Who would play you in a movie about your life? <laughs> um, I'm hoping Mr. Alba. <laughs> oh, Idris. I oh, know, he'd be good. Yeah. Luther's one of my favourite TV series. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping he might do it. What is the top item on your bucket list? If you could do anything before you die, what would, what's the top item? Buy a Lamborghini and Ventador. We was around South Kensington or something like that. In it for a day. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular colour? Um, I've, I've actually seen one. It's all it's all black, black rim and blacked out windows. Yeah, it looks it looks nice. Yeah, <laughs> love to, love, love to have a go in that. Are you a morning or a night person? Depends what I'm doing. I'd say I do my best thinking at night. Yeah, but because I'm, I'm because I'm now a trader on the side, I suppose I have to I have to some degree be quite alert in the morning, first thing in the morning. You have your faculties with you in, in the morning when the uh, the exchange opens, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Need, need to know uh, what Trump's on about half the time. <laughs> well, if you can sort that out, you, you're a better, better man than me. <laughs> what, what celebrity annoys you the most? Is there anybody that you see on telly or anything that you just turn it off instantly because they're just great on you? I don't tend to watch a lot of TV, to be honest. To be honest, any, any, any of these reality TV stars, to be honest, I don't, I don't really get reality TV. I'm, I'm probably showing my age now, but... Yeah, to be honest, most of them wind me up. They just talk some absolute nonsense, and the stuff that to them are first world problems. I just kind of look at look at them and just raise an eyebrow, really. On a scale of one to ten, with ten being the fonds, how cool would you say you are? Eleven. Ah, <laughs> <I don't laughs> oh. you've already struck me, Michael. There's been somebody from a distance that I always I always imagine he's quite cool. That it's you know most things are water off a duck's back. Would that be a fair yeah, I'm quite, assessment? I'm quite laid back. Yeah, I'm quite yeah. laid back, I'd say. Yeah, I'm quite laid back. Why not? Why not? I'll, boot, I'll boost my own tyres. I'll, I'll go for a seven. I'll <laughs> <laughs> if you could access a time machine and you could go anywhere, forwards or backwards in time, where and when would mm-hmm. you go to? I'll tell you what, I'd go back to. I was having this discussion with a young person the other day. I'd go right back to when I was about 18 or 19 and I was just starting out on my journey. Those, those are the best times. Great times. We didn't have a lot of money. You know, it was it was it was tough times trying to obviously trying to make it as a young pro and trying to break in certain teams and that. But on the side of that, we had great fun. You know, a lot of memorable nights and days on the pitch. You know, we 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 trained hard, but we we partied harder. Yeah, you know, like I said, we had fun, and when we all catch up now, we all you know you can all talk about it. So um, I'd, I'd teleport myself back to those times. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you go? Can't be you can't be England, really, can you? To be honest, I, lo- I love I love my country. I know our weather's not always all that, but you know what? This it, our, our, our tiny little island, you know, it offers it offers you so much. Uh, I, I, I can't really see myself leaving anywhere else, but but home, home's always home. Cricket's taking you to some lovely places around the world, though. Is there anywhere that you've put top of the list of places you've played? I enjoy my time in Perth. Um, I was lucky to have gone out there quite a lot as a young pro. Spent a lot of training camps out there. Obviously went out there with England to play a test match at the famous Wacker Ground. Went back for two seasons with uh, Perth Scorchers and, you know, thoroughly enjoyed my time there. You know, lovely people, great club and great, you know, Justin Lang was obviously massive at the helm of that. And they, again, they've become lifelong friends and we still keep in touch. Hopefully I'll see him this week as well. And yeah, um, you know, I'll say Perth has been right up there. It's very, very dear to me, dear place to me. What will you be doing in 10 years' time? Good question. Well, hopefully I'll be uh, a lot further advanced in my art. Hopefully, maybe going abroad and doing some exhibitions there, perhaps, and yeah, yeah. just spreading spreading the, the word of positivity, man, and you know, showing showing sort of you know people of all ages that you know you can you can learn anything if you put your mind to it. If you could change one thing about yourself. What would you change? Not overthinking sometimes. Um, actually, just, you know, maybe talking myself up a bit more. 
I've always been happy being just sort of being the background. You know, but, you know, for certain certain industries, it's not always it's not always a great thing to have. Yeah, so I'd like to probably change that about myself and say, right, get myself push myself out there a little bit more. I asked on Twitter for people to send in their questions. I put it on the other day that I was going to be talking to you. And Tom Hewland said, did he really leave his kit bag in Southampton when Hampshire arrived in, in Birmingham for finals day in 2013? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no comment. You're not prepared to answer that? I'm, I'm not going to comment. Let, let sleeping dogs lie. That's all I will say. Let, let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> <laughs> no Michael Carberry, we've reached question number 20. It's been great having you on the Cricket Budget Podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Found your answers fascinating and really interesting. Last question. Yeah, some yeah. people find it very easy and some people don't find it easy at all. If you'd been picking these questions yourself, could have asked yourself anything, what would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? Did you do it always your way? And can you answer that for me? I would say not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Not as many, not as not as often as I should have. <laughs> well, it's been it's been absolutely superb to have you on the podcast. I've really enjoyed actually just flicking, obviously knowing you were coming on, flicking through your artwork and having a, a bit of a look at uh, some of the stuff you've done. It's it's top notch, and you can be very proud of yourself in that you've taught yourself that over the last few years. It's incredible stuff. So wish you all the success with that, and uh, been a oh, pleasure having you on as a guest. Likewise, mate. Thanks for having us. Hi, I'm Brian Lara, and you're listening to Cricket Badger Podcast. It's that Badger style. This game is all about investing in people. You invest in people. Yeah. You do that. You got to, you know, you got to be looking at building an opening pair over a couple of years. You know, I'm not talking about ten test matches. I'm talking about a couple of years. You know, it takes. You know, it's a four year cycle. You know, imagine giving Rory Burns four years. He'd be a fantastic player. It's all about that feeling of belonging at test level, right? I've always, I've always said the only thing that separated me and Michael Clark, for instance, is opportunity. He gets out. He walks back to the sheds. He knows he's getting another test knock. I walked back to the sheds. I was batting for my test career every every inning. Right? Yeah. And that's the difference. You, know, you give him a half volley, he hits it. You give me a half volley, I hit it. Yeah, he's talented, but also I was talented. You know, I didn't see anything above the norm that I think, well, I couldn't do that. It's simply about that feeling of belonging and having that backing when things don't go right. That's the area at the moment that, you know, is, is creating a fear amongst young players coming up through the game the current ones that are playing in the game that no one wants to open. I am, I am passionate about that side of the game because it's what I did for 20 years. So it's a great skill to be able to go out there against the red ball and open the batting, you know, set your team up, set the foundation. It's quite a self-rewarding job, if you, you know, when yeah. it goes well. You've had to go in first, you know, you're in the front line. There's two, two players I've seen a lot of over the last few years. With One of them was Lyde, who we talked about, and the other one was Gary Balance. And I think both of them have been badly treated with England. I think Gary Balance, my perception of Gary, having known him a little bit, I, I used to work kind of at the club, so I've known him since he was quite young. He's been somebody that I don't think has ever been completely sure of himself. You know, even when he was bursting into the Yorkshire side, he was scoring, scoring runs all over the place. He was still not quite sure whether he was good enough and I think he's taken that all the way through despite the fact that you know if you watch him he's obviously good enough he scores the runs for fun for Yorkshire you take that mindset into the England side as it is now and you're always like you say looking over your shoulder thinking is this my last test match that combination the kind of insecurity plus the microscopes of the media plus all the rest of it he just can't succeed in that in that situation can you it makes a game here 10 times harder I know Gaz a long time as well and you know again Gaz is just one of those guys you just want him out you don't want him getting to 20 and 30 because he will go on but these guys understand run scoring there's a difference between being a hitter and being a run scorer and there's not enough run scorers if you look around county cricket there's not there's not really any sort of what I call sexy looking young players that are scoring massive runs if you look at the names it's all the same kind of name balance live hill drift you know it's all the same the old god because that's how you're taught all run no matter how you look all run there was one knock that gary played in the in the ashes he played one of the ashes summers and he scored a, a 60 i think it was which wasn't pretty he struggled and he, he, he gritted his teeth and he fought through. But if you actually look back at that series and you analyse that series, that 60 probably won the Ashes for England because if he got out for naught that day, it would have been a completely different series. And everybody looks back at his failures, but that 60 where he showed real fight and grit and determination probably won the, won the series for England. And yet he was dropped shortly afterwards. I'm obviously saying this respectfully to Gaz. I mean, if you're talking about 
players you, you like to watch, well, that's a different conversation. I mean, now you're getting into the sort of Ian Bell route, these kind of guys who look good at the crease. You know, they play the famous back punch or the cover drive, and you think, oh, my God, that's, that is glorious. You know, Gaz is never going to be that kind of player. He's a run scorer. Again, he's one of those guys, like Livy. These guys, they go and they churn out runs. And surely that's the aim of the game, isn't it? You churn out runs. Yeah. Roy Burns is not someone, you know, you pay your last dollar, your pound in the, in the turnstile to go and watch. And I say that respectfully. Before he got his test 100, you know, everyone was picking apart his technique. You know, saying, oh, you know, or, you know, is he, is, he, is he equipped for test levels? Well, look, he's had four games. You know, this, this is what irks me a little bit, is that, you know, we're, we're, we're not getting behind these fellas. We're just putting them up there to be shot down. That, and that's what winds me up a little bit. Being, being a former opener myself, it really does because I'm like, well, then, then when he goes and scores a test hundred, you know, he's like, oh, well, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Right, hold on a minute. You were <laughs> picking apart his technique only two minutes ago. One of our very best, Alistair Cook. Again, he's not someone I would pay my money to watch back, respectfully. You know, he didn't play shots that you sort of remember. You know, he had three shots, but this guy understood run scoring. Again, there's a difference between being a hitter and a run scorer. Run scorers sum up conditions. Batsmen sum up conditions. They look at who's bowling, the pace of wicket, bounce, all that stuff, how much swing, movement, and they, and they adapt to what's there. Hitters can't adapt. It's one-way traffic. That's the way I play. And, you know, we've seen it. You know, they're, they're, they're thrusting the likes of James Vince and these guys. Look, yeah, James Vince, you know, fine play again. Is that new elk of hitting, hitting the ball all the time. But, again, when you put a test level and you're asked now to bat for a longer period of time, you know, you've seen it. It's a struggle. Um, yeah. Because it's not, they're not, it's, that, it's not that ability to adapt. Like I said, you don't get the runs Gary Balance has or does by not being able to adapt. And again, I point your finger at the batting coaches and the management. Is that if you saw, okay, he struggles against real genuine pace, then why are you not working on that part of his technique? I speak to you know players, and they tell you my ambitions to play for England, and then you're really happy for them when you see them actually selected. They get five Test matches. They're binned off, and then they're referred to as the former England opener that failed for the rest of their career. And you, you kind of think, you know, if they were good enough to be picked in the first place, then they're good enough to persevere with. And, yeah, there's so many decisions that are made about and this thing that England keep doing about, oh, we, if, if we're 30 for three, we'll, we'll counter-attack, we'll, we'll fight our way back, we'll be positive. Yeah, you know, sometimes you can't be, can you? Sometimes scoring five runs in the next 30 minutes is the right way, th- and not losing a wicket is the right way forward. Exactly. Fight. You've got to fight your way through it. That's the hallmark of, um, of, of test match, well, first-class batting, test match batting, is the ability, as I said before, you've got to be able to adapt um, your technique to the conditions you're facing. What I'm seeing at the moment is certainly amongst even children that I'm coaching, they cannot adapt, you know. It's all standing there, back raised, always wanting to hit the ball. I always challenge it. I would say, right, I'm going to put the ball on a first-class length on your stumps. And you can see they cannot adapt. They all want to swipe across the line. They get bored after three balls, and they just carry that forward, right? And you're seeing it even at the top end of the game. You know, the guys who are currently playing. As soon as they block two overs, you know, they're looking to run down the wicket or something, you know. Yeah. They're getting itchy pants, you know. They're batting out the crease, and then suddenly they're, you know, they're trying to run at the bowler. And do you think, mate, just sit, get through it. It will get easier. When a, when a bowler's got to come back for third, fourth spell, it is marked different to when he's running in his first and second spell. Any first-class batter will tell you that. No one is able to sustain pace after two days in the field, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It's never happened. Fatigue kicks in. You've been, in, you've been on your legs in the field for 130, 140 overs. Let me tell you, you can be the fittest bloke in the world you start to feel it. And when your skipper yeah. is asking you to come in and put in a shift, <laughs> he's waving at you. I'm telling you now, there's not a bowler alive that is just trying to turn his back in the hope that he's not waving at me. Please tell me not that he's waving at me. <laughs> 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 you know <what> I mean? <laughs> We're offering you the opportunity to play your part in the growth of the Cricket Badger podcast. We have quite literally gone through the roof in terms of listeners over the last year and there's an opportunity for you to get your business in front of the cricket world by sponsoring or advertising on the Cricket Badger podcast. We're giving away headline sponsorship and also a maximum of four adverts per week. Get yourself on the Cricket Badger radio show podcast. Get yourself in front of our fantastic listeners and help the podcast continue to grow 
We've had some fantastic guests over the last year. I've lost count of the number of test caps and captains that we've had. Some great stories too. And you could be alongside those big names offering your services to the cricket world. Get in touch, cricketbadger at hotmail.com or telephone James on 077-999-64812 to grab this with both hands. Don't let it drop through your fingers. Kind of winning the World Cup and stuff is fantastic, but in in some ways it's actually just changed people's mindset even further to the fact that you know you you attack yourself out of trouble and that it's not pretty to watch somebody score thirty in two hours. And yeah, I, I, I worry that you know people don't quite get Test cricket anymore, which is which is scary really because it's maybe the kind of the start of the end of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'll be honest, James, and I have been for quite a while, even even the latter part of my career. I'm a little bit worried about what's what. I mean, I love 2020. You know, I, I love playing it. You know, I think it was it's fantastic in terms of, I suppose, reaching out to a different audience, getting getting kids involved. You know, I'm all for that. On the flip side, I have been and always been and always will be worried about what it's doing to the art of batsmanship and certainly top order batting is that all these guys who now can play 360 and you know can have got fantastic eye. But I look at technique. You know, techniques have massively changed. Now everybody's standing there you know, waving a bat around. Like I said, playing glorified baseball in front of stumps. You're hearing more and more that, oh, he doesn't really back his defence, so he thinks his best way of defence is to go in on the attack. And that worries me slightly, that if you're a professional bat and you're telling me you can't defend a straight ball, I've got to really look and see why have I picked you. I may, I may sound a little bit black and white here, but the art of batsmanship is to keep out the good ball and attack the bad ball. And if you're yeah. telling me a professional batsman you cannot defend then I'll say to you well you're like a boxer who's got no who's basically going in the ring with your hands down because you're going to get punched yeah that's right one of the problems as well with 2020 is that people can make a a very very good living these days batsmen can go in at number five or number six and make a really good living because they're useful to franchises if they can go in and hit 27 off 11 balls and yeah that that that's the difference these days is that you can make a you can make millions of pounds a year by facing 11 balls per match and still make a name for yourself and possibly be man of the match with that match winning knock but you're not going to ever bat in test cricket playing like that exactly um, you know your you, you joe, you joe roots and your you kane williamson's and your you virat Kohli's and your ab de villiers are few and far between that can actually do everything well you know a, 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 yeah. in, across all formats you know they, they are the creme de la creme and you can count them on one hand can't you the people that can do that everybody else is seems to just be going where the money is and that's the biggest problem is, is the money Sonny, you put money on it and like i say you're you're now applauded for having a swipe getting 30 off 10 balls and getting caught on the boundary. You walk on everyone goes, oh, well, great for mate. Well done, well done. And then Rajasthan Royals are basically buying you in the auction for 800 grand, right? Yeah. Whereas going through the grind of county cricket for five to 10 years, building a first-class career, then getting picked for England and then trying to keep your name in that team to try and earn 800 grand, you know? You can see yeah. it's a much longer journey. Yeah. Now, as I say, sports mimics life, life mimics sport. Do the modern generation want to go, you know, do they look at longevity the same? I don't believe they do, right? And so it might be sounding, you know, letting off my age a little bit here now. But I think kids now will always go to the shortest route. And I think Nick Compton, who's a great mate of mine, made a very good point on Facebook the other day. And he said, look, it's just not fashionable now amongst young batters to work on your defence. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I thought to myself, you know what, you couldn't have summed it up any better. It is about, it is about looking good now. Fashionable. What is fashionable? And, and I think the selectors have got sucked into that as well. They're looking at who's fashionable. You know, if Jason Roy is crunching test bowlers at the top of the order, it's fashionable. It brings in sponsors. It brings, it's marketable versus two Rory Burns at the crease. But it's human nature as well, though, isn't it? Which is, you know, if, you, if you're 12 years old and you've got, you, you're talented at cricket and you've got the possibility of playing one-day cricket and earning yourself an absolute fortune within five years of, of becoming 18 or whatever, or you can play test match cricket and you graph for five days and you get a draw and everybody criticises your technique left, right and centre, which one are you going to pick? Yeah, and I think that's, that's all the kids look at now. What's going to grow my bank balance? As I said, it was, it was always concerned. I'll be honest. I mean, like I said, I'm, I, I love twenty. I love playing twenty twenty cricket. With my time in Hampshire, you know, we had great success in it. But for me, even still, I always maintain that nothing gave me more pleasure than going out there scoring a first class hundred. 
a lot of things on your day have to go well for you to go and go out and score a twenty twenty hundred. You need all your moon to align. So is you go out there and you tough it out for get a first class hundred. As I said, it's a very self rewarding job. You know? As opposed yeah. to just shutting your eyes, having a swing, you get a few off the top edge, few few off the inside edge, you nail a few out the screws. Great. Look, look, I get it. You know, we, we, we don't want to drive the entertainment out of the game. I, I, as, as I said before, it's been wonderful in terms of, I suppose, getting the audience and, and certainly females and that to, to, to watch the game. Because I think, you know, we need that to happen as a sport. We're always going to be behind football and things like that. So, you know, we, anything we can do to get the audiences watching the game. But I think we also have to be, for me, it's all about yin and yang, right? So we have to find the balance so that the kids are just not waking up on a day thinking that, all cricket is just right about clearing the front leg or young bowlers running in trying to bowl Yorker, bounce a slow ball, cutters all in one over, you know? Yeah. It's the same with the bowling. Oh, I want, you know, get kids in the net, you know, the one minute of bowling, it bots pace, next minute of bowling, legs spin, next minute of bowling. I said, why don't you bowl one thing? Oh, but I've seen so-and-so on 2020 doing this and doing that. I said, yeah, but you don't even have the fundamentals down. Well, like James Anderson's such a good bowler. Oh, because he can swing it in and out. I said, no, nah, that's not why he's a good bowler. I see the reason why James Anderson is a good bowler is because he can put he can put his in swing and his out swing on the same spot. Oh, oh, yeah. So he, when he was your age, he was bowling at, at a cone or a, or a target, and he's just got incredibly good at hitting a target. I said your in swing has ended up in the next lane. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're looking at you like you're speaking like double Dutch. I said, well, it's not it's not difficult. You've got to bowl one spot. Do do the kids have that mind now? That's the question. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that's no, a challenge. That's the challenge the game has now. People who are te- teaching teaching the kids the game is well, you know. Do you do you sort of conform to what's there and say, well, you know what, you just got to leave, you know, leave it be. And you know, if they've got the talent to do this and do that, you know, um, it's not for me to stand in their way. Or do you do you say go back old school and say, look, it doesn't hurt to brush up on your fundamentals because ultimately your fundamentals are what pays your mortgage. Yeah, well, if you got the foundations right, the, you know, you can you can add things to it, can't you? I, I look at my own career, right? There was no 2020 when I started, so you learn the fundamentals of batting. You know, you learn run scoring. You had to to get in that great Surrey team. You had to you your standards had to be very very high in the second team because you had other good players breathing down your neck if you messed up, right? So you know it it, it bred a certain toughness if you like, right? As that over my dead body sort of scenario. We learned 2020, you know, so I learned to, you know, open my front foot out. I learned to hit over cover. I was never going to be a ramper. <laughs> I value my teeth too much. But, um, <laughs> you know, but equally, just playing good cricket shots, but looking to hit more sixes. You know, I beefed yeah. up. I went, you know, got in the gym, put on some more weight and, you know, had a very good 2020 career. But, the fundamentals were still there. Like, if, I, if, if we got in trouble, you know, if I was playing top of your Hampshire and we lost Vincey early and lost a couple early, I'd very much go into, you know, a little bit of first-class mode for a bit and just say, look, I've got, I've got to be here now at 17, 18 overs. And if we do that, we've got a chance of getting a score because I, I know I can back my power at the back end of an innings if someone stays with me. But if we're constantly losing wickets, and this is where, I say, me and the youngsters used to clash all the time. They just want to come in and, keep going hard. I said, listen, let's build a partnership. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. We've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to go. And then we end up, what, 130 all out. I appreciate it's different, it's different generations, different different thinking, but I'm, I'm just concerned about what it's doing. I say, going off topic a little bit, but I'm just concerned what it's doing to the art of batsmanship in the longer form of the game because I think that's the real problem now is that, you know, these, these, these lads coming through I don't think they're also helped by the selectors, I'll be honest, in, in certain policies there. But it, I would like to see further investment, certainly in the guys who bat at the top, because I think, you know, they're putting the bin way too early. It, it's, it's then going to start to breed a fear amongst the next generation coming up after them to the point then where no one's going to want to open, you know. So you are now forced to try, you know, Jason Roy's and, and Bantons and people like that who can blast it in 2020 for but can they do it in the longer form? Bunton looks a million dollars, isn't he? But, you know, like we said before, if you suddenly get Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood uh, sticking it on a line of length outside his off stump, how long can he do that for? Well, there you go. It looks a good prospect. Again, you know, it wouldn't be long before he's been shoved up 
in lines and that kind of stuff, which, again, I don't think is the right policy. I want to see someone doing it over a couple of years. They'll, they'll be desperate to get Bunsen into the World T20 squad, won't they? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, because they're, they're, they're not sure what Morgz is going to do. So there'll be already eyes on this Bunsen to... You know, well, we got to get him in, got to get him in. Yeah, look, if he if he's consistent over the next couple of years, by all means. I think the bigger the bigger issue is what's going on in the test court, um, and yeah. who's going to be our opener. That's a big that's a bigger issue. You know, do we do we need to play this hundred? I mean, I don't I don't see the value in that personally. I mean, you know, he might take off. Uh, I've said that, but there was nothing wrong with. I think 2020 was already, a, you know, it always it was already a success, and I think it always will be. What needs to be sort of reviewed is if we're looking to, as they say, they want to produce some quick bowlers. Well, how are you going to do that bowling on wickets in March? Because you know you'd be lucky if you get one bounce to the keeper that state that time of the year. You know you're you're bowling yeah. on puddings. I don't know if you've looked at my Twitter feed, but I'm to- I'm totally against the hundred. I think it's been brought in completely the wrong way, and it's almost like a two fingers up to the existing supporters. I think the way they brought that in is just purely about money. And if, you, if you start if you, if you start to structure sport around money, that's surely the beginning of the end because you're, you're completely selling the selling out, aren't you? You, you, you know you've got to you've got to Look at the sport first. Make the sport good, and it and it'll put bombs on the sea. It's that Badger style. As I said at the start of the podcast, well, I've already said goodbye once. Then we came back again for another chat. But this is goodbye this week. Thank you very, very much indeed to Michael Carberry this week. Really inspirational, interesting, fascinating educational cricket badger-esque kind of chat this week on the podcast one of my favorite episodes that we've had so far and wish carbs all the best for his artwork and the future really enjoyed talking to him this week we'll have another edition of the cricket badger ashes weekly coming up after the second test as a preview to the third test match and we'll be back with more regular cricket badger podcasts as we go through the summer but until then badgers plenty to get your teeth into it's an ashes summer it's glorious it's all things cricket it's exactly what a cricket badger loves so until we speak again enjoy your cricket badges sports social podcast network